And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Good morning, welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Wednesday the 22nd of November. I'm Michael Bailey and today we're asking... Are Messi and Ronaldo actually set for one last dance? We hadn't gotten any indication before today that a trip to Saudi Arabia was on the table. Why has a plan to ban related club loans in January failed? There's a very real chance that Everton have voted for something that will actually be detrimental to them. How did that clash between Brazil and Argentina go? This is a shocking result for for Brazil. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Michael Bailey. It started with a press release, which either had you excited or rolling your eyes in scepticism. Saudi Arabia proudly announced its three-club Riyadh Season Cup in February would include Lionel Messi's Inter Miami and Cristiano Ronaldo's Al Nasser. One last dance for two football greats, right? Well, hold your horses, or maybe that should be goats. A few hours later, Inter Miami released a statement of their own, calling the initial Saudi announcement inaccurate. Alex Abnos is managing editor of US Soccer for The Athletic, and he's with us now. Alex, was anyone expecting this? No, not this exactly, but something like it, I think we were expecting. I think most people who cover MLS assumed that at some point, Miami would probably play friendlies abroad to cash in on having Messi and everybody else that they have on on their team. They actually had a couple friendlies in China scheduled. They were announced in October and they were going to be played in November. And then they were canceled, I think about a week before they were supposed to leave for unforeseen circumstances in China. There's still a lot of mysteries in terms of like how that came about. Miami talks all the time about being a global brand. They were talking that way even before they added Messi. So it stands to reason that they would play a game like this. That being said, we hadn't gotten any indication before today that a trip to Saudi Arabia was on the table and certainly not a game against Ronaldo. Yeah, The Athletic has previously written about Messi's links with Saudi Arabia. So is there a wider context to all this specifically with with Saudi Arabia? Yeah, to be honest, we don't know yet. I wish I could tell you definitely yes or no, but we don't know. We're not sure how this press release came about. We're not sure why Miami was apparently caught by surprise or didn't expect it to be coming. What I will say is that Messi's relationship with Saudi Arabia is a big reason why it seemed to be so believable. His deal was to promote the country and help it get the Men's World Cup, which clearly worked because now they have the Men's World Cup in 2034. It passes the smell test, you know, for him to go there and play in a friendly as part of that deal. But again, as I sit here right now, we really don't know if that played a role here. Is it right to think, oh, well, this will probably happen in the end? The timing is right. The friendly was supposed to take place in the first week of February, and that dovetails very nicely with the MLS season. That will probably start in late February. This year, it started on February 25th. And uh, Miami also has CONCACAF Champions Cup games coming up on March 5th to 7th. So it stands to reason. It's like a, it makes sense timing-wise for them to be playing. That being said, there's also plenty of reason for doubting it. 
if only because of Miami's statement after this announcement. It was very strongly worded. They took really, really big issue with the release quoting uh, club owner Jorge Mas in it. And I don't know, after you make a statement like that, it would be pretty weird for them to just about face a few weeks later and be like, never mind, we're good. <laughs> we're still playing this game. So, you know, there's there's reasons both ways. We may be three days from the return of Premier League action, but there was plenty of fighting for the shirt among the 20 teams in London on Tuesday. Club officials met for the Premier League's monthly shareholders meeting with two big votes on the agenda. Our senior football correspondent, David Ornstein, followed events closely and he joins us now. David, what were these two votes and how did they play out? Yeah, this was actually a day of pretty high drama within the political back channels of the Premier League. The first vote was one that we knew was coming, and that was a recommendation by the Premier League to implement a temporary ban on loan signings into the Premier League in the January transfer window from associated party clubs, essentially clubs under the same ownership as a Premier League club. The arrangement was only being billed as a temporary measure to give the Premier League more time to find a more permanent solution. Because right now, while there are fair value assessments that apply to permanent transfers, there is no way of calculating what is a fair value loan. So they wanted the coming weeks and months to be able to do that. And for the time being, to stop controversy, they recommended ban the loans between associated party clubs. When the Premier League issues such recommendations, they almost always pass in a vote. It required a two-thirds majority, like all rule changes in the Premier League, which would have been 14 clubs to pass. However, the result was 12 in favour of this temporary rule change and eight clubs voted against it. So in only getting 12, it failed. The second vote was basically looking at commercial deals between clubs within the same ownership group. There's been major controversy over front-of-shirt sponsorships since really the Newcastle United takeover by the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia. Very quickly in December 2021, Premier League clubs brought about new rules to measure fair value of sponsorship deals. All deals of any description over £1 million had to go to the Premier League to be assessed and they would use an independent company to assess whether this deal is fair value or whether it's being used as a way to funnel funds from ownership into the club to help them with their revenues, their financial fair play compliance, their ability to pay wages, to commit transfer fees. Many of these accusations have been placed at Manchester City, of course, accusations which they deny. What some of the Premier League clubs want is for these rules to be made even tighter. That vote was rejected too. It had 13 clubs in favour and seven against What did we learn about the clubs from how they voted? Nobody's spoken on the record, but our understanding is that 
Burnley, Chelsea, Everton, Newcastle United, Nottingham Forest, Manchester City, Sheffield United and Wolverhampton Wanderers all voted against the proposed temporary ban on loan deals into the Premier League in the January transfer window. And they will have varying reasons. For example, Newcastle United may well want to do deals for players from their ownership group, Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia. That would allow Newcastle to sign somebody like Ruben Neves, although they are playing down their interest. And my understanding is that he's going to be staying most likely at Al-Hilal. There is curiosity around Everton, maybe. They are in the process of a proposed takeover by 777 Partners. If that goes through, then in theory, they would have access to some really good players at multiple clubs, while in their perilous financial situation, loans from there could be extremely advantageous. However, that takeover has not been approved yet. And if it doesn't get approved, there's a very real chance that Everton have voted for something that will actually be detrimental to them because it will strengthen their rivals' ability to bring players in from related party clubs, but they won't have any any related party clubs to bring players in from. So they're taking a bit of a gamble there. Sheffield United is really interesting because they are Saudi-owned. Prince Abdullah is in charge there, and that will draw natural links to the Newcastle situation and their vote on this too, because Sheffield United also, by voting for this, it gives their rivals teams above them in a better financial position with better connections and partner clubs the chance to bring in players that would actually be detrimental to them and their chances of surviving in the Premier League and Wolves quite similar they have a link to Grasshoppers Zurich but there's no suggestion that they'd be looking to bring players into their club from Grasshoppers and so why have they done this well I think we'll wait to hear more in the coming days. I'm sure Wolves will have their reasons. There is also more detail to these proposals than maybe we've seen just yet. And so that's one factor. And also there may be pressure and politics at play here and favours. And that's kind of what makes this all so fascinating. You're listening to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. So what happened in last night's football? Well, now... Wales missed out on qualifying for Euro 2024 after being held to a 1-1 draw by Turkey in Cardiff. Croatia joined Turkey in qualifying for next summer's finals in Germany and Wales still have a chance to join them through the playoffs. It's pretty convoluted but all you need to know is there are 12 countries battling for the final three spots and the playoff draw will be made on Thursday. As for hosts Germany and their preparations, they lost 2-0 in Austria and saw Leroy Sané sent off. Our own Seb Staffer-Bloor labelled the performance worse than the 4-1 home thrashing by Japan in September that cost Hansi Flick his job. So Julian Nagelsmann hasn't quite papered over those cracks yet. Over to the 2026 World Cup qualification in South America. How did that clash between Brazil and Argentina go? Here's Mike Zimmerman and Felipe Cardenas. Thanks, Michael. Well, Felipe, let's get right into it. The match was delayed for 30 minutes and things seemed to kick off even before the whistle. 
Yeah, I think anytime Brazil and Argentina play, you expect the game to be heated, to be very tense. I think the way that these teams were coming in, that was the expectation on the pitch. What we saw outside the pitch was the shock, though. And we saw Brazilian police engaging with, with Argentina fans, batons in hand, hitting fans. How this happened, why this happened is, is still unknown. But the images are there. The images are out there. You saw police with the batons hitting fans, the fans getting unruly, fans lifting chairs, tossing them back. You know, unfortunately, this is something that is, I wouldn't say commonplace, but it does happen often in South America. But certainly when Brazil and Argentina get together, it can be a recipe for disaster. We saw the Argentina players actually involved as well, trying to calm things down and and break it up. Emiliano Martinez directly involved. Lionel Messi led his teammates off the field, went back into the locker room, and and we waited a long time for this game to start. But with all this stuff that kind of happened pre-match, can we expect any sanctions or any penalties here? I know there's still a lot of information that needs to come out. Yeah, I think it's going to be wait and see. You know, again, we don't know the the cause of this. I think now that the game is is over, Argentina has won one nothing the first time that Brazil has ever lost a South American qualifier at home. I'm sure the Argentine press is going to be all over this, but certainly still wait and see what happens in terms of sanctions. So now let's move to the result on the pitch where Nicolas Otamendi scored the winner for Argentina for a 1-0 win. Felipe, what does this result mean for both sides? Let's start with Argentina. During the week, they after that loss to Uruguay, the the storyline in Argentina is okay. We're going back to where this this magical run started, and so they see they saw the Maracanã as a stadium that they've won in before. They they beat Brazil the Copa America final in 2021, and that really set them off to this to the run through to the 2022 World Cup final. So I think for Argentina, it just reestablishes them as the best team in the world, the defending World Cup champions. And currently, right now, you know, undoubtedly the best team in South America, and and for Brazil, it is crisis time. You know, this is their third loss in a row. That's never happened before. Uh, they've lost at home for the first time in a World Cup qualifier. If this were a thirty-two field World Cup, Brazil would be out of the World Cup right now. But because it's going to forty-eight teams, they're in sixth place. They have plenty to play for still, plenty of games, but. You know, I think for Brazil, they're going to have to look themselves in the mirror and figure out what do they want to do. They have, are they going to fire an interim manager and then bring in another interim manager before they have a full time coach? Does this blow up the Carlo Ancelotti plan? And and simply, we need a coach right now. We need a full time coach right now. This is a shocking result for for Brazil. They're in a dangerous spot right now. As for your pick of today's TV footy, you can see Barcelona's women in action as their Champions League defence takes them to Eintracht Frankfurt. That's on DAZN and their YouTube channel from 8pm in the UK, which is 3pm Eastern in the US. That's all for today's briefing. Thank you for listening. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, now is the time to become one. We're running a Black Friday deal all this week. Head to theathletic.com slash briefing to sign up for $1 or £1 per month for 12 months. I've been Michael Bailey. Your producers were Abby Patterson and Mike Zimmerman and executive producer was Ian McIntosh. I'll be back with you tomorrow. In the meantime, have a great day. The Athletic. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.